You know, I'm a sucker for good documentaries. It's some days it's all I want to watch. Especially documentaries where the subject matter is something I'm already interested in. I'm interested in movies, I'm interested in Italian horror, and interested in Euro cult, and uh, interested in Lucio Fulci. Definitely one of my favorite Italian directors, Italian horror director, Italian directors, period. Really. I'm one of those guys who really thinks of Fulci's stuff as really high art. So, the 2019 documentary Fulci for Fake, it checked all the boxes, in my opinion, for me. At least for me. It's a, oh man, and I, it, it, it grabbed me. The film drew me in. And it's one of the best filmmaker documentaries I've seen in a while. It's a, it's a great film about Lucio Fulci, the artist, Lucio Fulci, the creator, Lucio Fulci, the perfectionist, and Lucio Fulci, who was a human being and who was a, a, a friend and a lover and uh, so many people around him, people in his personal life. It's really a, a testimony to this guy with his personal friends and family giving these testimonies about who he was and, and what he did. It would be easy to mistake the film as you know, just another one of those, an extended special feature, you know, because there have been so many little featurettes and documentaries about Fulci made over the years, uh, you know, on the Media Blasters, on Blue Underground, Image Entertainment, DVD releases of his films. There'd always be a little interview with the people who worked on the film and so forth. And th that's not what Fulci for Fake is. Fulci for Fake is a real documentary. And it, there's a lot of omissions of uh, interview subjects in Fulci for Fake. There's not uh, Dardano Sacchetti, who was one of the main writers who wrote all of those famous horror films that Fulci did in the late 70s and early 80s. He's not interviewed. A lot of the people that Fulci worked with later in his movie career they're not interviewed. Claudio Fergasso is not interviewed. A lot of those later later actors and people he, that he, he worked with, they're not interviewed. It really is just his family and friends who are interviewed. And, and the film is built around this, uh, the centerpiece of the film is this interview with uh, one of Lucio Fulci's daughters, Camilla Fulci. Uh, who gives a, quite a testimony to her father and the things they went through together in their life. So first of all, the name of the film, Fulci for Fake. And you notice in the trailer and also in the title card in the film itself that the U-L-C-I in Fulci is in red, So and then and the rest of the letters are in white, so it looks like F for Fake. And F for Fake was actually a different film. It was a documentary in the 70s made by Orson Welles, one of Orson Welles' later masterpieces. Uh, Orson Welles thought he'd made a new type of film, a new, he'd, he'd, he'd pioneered a new type of genre in F for Fake. And maybe he kind of did, because F for Fake, Orson Welles' F for Fake is a is half documentary. It interviews real people, and it's about an art forger. But then it's also fictionalized. It's the story of Orson Welles' life as a magician, as a con artist himself, as a cinematic con artist. And the film kind of examines and plays around with the idea of truth and illusion in life, in film. And, and Fulci for Fake kind of covers some of the same ground. 
Fulci for Fake is also kind of a, a documentary, but also within a docudrama framework. Because the framework of Fulci for Fake is that we follow around this actor, and this actor is supposedly going to play Lucio Fulci in a film. The director of the film says, hey, go around and interview the friends and family of Lucio Fulci. So we, we see this actor go around and interview the friends and family of Lucio Fulci and provide the insights, and that's the balance of the film. We see a few little very, very short reenactments of this actor in, in makeup. He has different stages of prosthetic makeup uh, as he plays Fulci. In fact, the, the title sequence of the film is him in, in Fulci makeup, but then tearing the makeup apart. It's very kind of almost breaking the illusion you know, Fulci, you know, like all Italian directors, really, uh, and all Italian filmmakers, ha there is a mythology to, to Fulci. There is the myth of Fulci of uh, Steven Spielberg saw House by the Cemetery and was inspired to make Poltergeist by it. All kinds of myths and, and legends about Fulci. And, and part of this part of this movie is kind of demythologizing Fulci and, and bringing him into a, a more human context. And, oh my God, well, it, it quite succeeds at that. The film kind of constructs a framework of Fulci's life, of Fulci's filmmaking works, starting at the beginning, starting in the 50s and the 60s when he started coming up as a, as a director of light comedies, and then in the late in the late sixties, there was the tragedy of his wife's suicide, uh, the 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 mother of uh, Camilla and uh, Antonella Fulci, his two daughters, and how this changed his life. Uh, one of Fulci's personal assistants is interviewed, and he said, it, you know, it completely changed the direction of his life, and completely changed the direction of his art. Suddenly after that, you see in the late 60s and the early 70s, the dark thrillers of Don't Torture a Duckling, of Lizard in a Woman's Skin, of The Psychic, and the more, the, the, the emergence in his work of the savage violence that uh, would play out uh, in, later on in, in his most famous films, starting with Zombie Flesh Eaters with Zombie, and then... In the early 80s, in just a few years, I mean, Fulci had that run of films that we're all familiar with, that all Italian horror film fans, the, the number one films, maybe higher than Argento, really, are, you know, Zombie Flesh Eater, Zombie, House by the Cemetery, The Black Cat, City of the Living Dead, The Beyond, The Masterpiece. Uh, that is the beyond, the, the, the savagery of New York Ripper. I know I'm kind of throwing these out, and they're not in exact uh, chronological order, but it was a run of films. You have to realize, though, when Fulci started making these films, when, when Fulci started in 79, 80, and he came out with Zombie and the Black Cat and all these, he was already an old man. He was an old man. He'd already, he, you know, he'd already made like 35 or 40 films before that. The documentary, as I said, it doesn't interview everybody, but it but it interviews some of his key collaborators in films, specifically his uh, cinematographer, his cameraman Sergio Salvati, the great Sergio Salvati, 
uh, along with Sergio Salvati's wife, uh, Berenice, who is a costumer on his films. And Berenice tells a funny story about Lucio Fulci, about how one time he, uh, Lucio Fulci called him, called her up and was like, will you, will you dress me? He, he just said, will you dress me? I don't, I don't have anything to wear. I have a suitcase full of clothes. I don't know what's clean, what's not. Can you come over? You are the only one who knows. And it endeared, endeared him to her that this, this man had no one else to ask, you know, that he had, had been such, it was so alone. Fulci in the, in the film is painted as this lonely person who had the death of, death of his wife that he never recovered from, and then he had a, a German wife who his kids never really liked, and then it, it, throughout you know the 70s and the 80s, the relationships that he had were all kind of dysfunctional. Uh, his um, his good friend and the the star of House by the Cemetery in New York Ripper, the actor Paolo Malco is interviewed. Apparently, he was a really good friend of Fulci and kept in touch with him throughout the years. And Paul Malkiel tells a story about how Fulci had this uh, Caribbean girlfriend and and he kept talking talking the girl up to Fulci. He's like, oh my God, I got this girlfriend. She's so hot. And she and he brought her to, to, to New York uh, to, during the shooting in New York Ripper. And he tells a funny story about how uh, he apparently things kind of went a little bit south and he pulled Paulo Malco aside. And it's like, hey, you've got to call my hotel room and pretend to be my lawyer in Italy and tell me that, no, I you will not. The, the, the judge will not grant a divorce to try to get rid of this Caribbean girlfriend. And then apparently he, he put her on the next uh, he bought a plane ticket to the Caribbean and shipped her back off to the Caribbean. So there's all these funny stories about how Fulci, you know, again, kind of demythologizing the, the, the guy about how he tried to act tough and tried to act brutish, you know, about how he was so sloppy, about how he would just get cigarette ashes everywhere. And of course, like Berenice said, he didn't know what to wear. And he was, you know, flopping around, He's, you know, dirty clothes. But in his personal life, he was messy. But in his professional life, People like Sergio Salvati point out that he was he was perfectionist. He always knew where to put the camera, and his films have a kind of technical precision. I mean, even the the cheapest films, they 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 look beautiful and they look incredible, you know, and they sound incredible. Another collaborator that that was interviewed here is his composer Fabio Frizzi, who did all of the great soundtracks from Lucio Fulci films, uh, the uh, incredible soundtrack to The Psychic, Four of the Apocalypse with that incredible rock score in, in a spaghetti western, very unique, very, very cutting edge. And then, of course, Zombie, the, the masterpiece of the zombie, which is still being quoted in electronic music to this day, City of the Living Dead, and the beyond, the masterpiece of, of the beyond, the eerie, scary music, which is melodic as well. You can you can listen to these to these soundtracks, and they're melodic. They're not. And, and and Frizzy talks about that that in in his interview about how it wasn't just about creepy sound effects. It was about melody. It was about music. Fabio Frizzy has a, a band. He's put together called Fulci to Frizzy, or is it Frizzy to Fulci? He's got a group of young people who play 
his Fulci film soundtrack music. They do it live. They uh, they they visited Austin, Texas, a few years ago, and they played the the Beyond uh, live. They projected the film live, and they did a new score, and they played the the new score, the new Beyond score. I, I I hope at some point Frizzy will release that on CD because it's very interesting. This is the second time he was there. Earlier, he did just a a, a concert of Fulci music. He didn't play against an actual movie. But uh, it's great, and they play, and they did it in a church in downtown Austin, Texas. Both times that Fulci came, uh, Frizzy came, he he performed in a church. And it was, and it's a really incredible. If you can see Fabio Frizzi in concert, he's got a hell of a band, and it's really a, a, a treat to listen to him. The documentary is a very a very tight documentary. This is not a documentary full of uh, film clips and flabby musical montages and stuff like that. The only montage in the film is this scene, and it's the, and it's the only extended period where we see the, the supposed actor who played Fulci actually play Fulci. And it's a, it's, a, it's a series of 360-degree shots with just two people, the man playing Fulci, and then this woman, this actress, who is supposed to play... In this scene, she's supposed to represent the woman, the women in Fulci's films, and maybe the the women in Fulci's lives. And they start with 60s, you know, the, the swing in the 60s, happy chick, happy-go-lucky dancing. Fulci is younger. He's in, his, he's in a white, white shirt, and he looks like a younger man. Then it transfer, translates, it, it, it dissolves into a, a later Fulci, an older Fulci, a more haggard Fulci. And then we see the woman is dressed in fur like Florinda Balkan in Lizard in a Woman's Skin. And then it goes later and, and Fulci is older and the woman is now in, in, in black undergarments, in black negligee. She's the woman from uh, New York Ripper, and 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 the devolution of Fulci and his 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 female uh, his his heroines his female I wouldn't call them necessarily heroines but the the female the female archetypes in his film are discussed. Fulci's problem with women, you know, I don't know. They they always talk about these European directors having problems with women, like Jean Roland and and Fulci. One thing that that Camilla points out in the film is that Fulci wove a lot of his life stories and, and fragments and elements of his real life into his later movies, into the horror films. There are pieces of those films that are actually parts of his life, scenes that really played out in a real way, it, it woven into a mosaic that we, we will never really kind of understand. It's so personal and deep to, to him. And and that's an interesting insight. They they do talk about the you know in his later films. There's violence. There's these recurrent ideas. These recurrent scenes. Florinda Balkan being chain being being murdered with chains uh, in Don't Torture a Duckling. How that was repeated with Schweik at the beginning of the Beyond. Uh, the the psychic uh, the scene in the psychic where the dummy falls off the the cliff and how that echoes the the murderer, the death uh, of the priest in uh, Don't Torture a Duckling. The, all of these elements, how they inter, interwove and, and 
the the I and New York Ripper is 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 talked about a little bit. New York Ripper, which is probably his most most violent film, about how there may have been some kind of a reality that Fulci gave it a that was part of his life experience because Camilla had a, a hard life. Camilla. Uh, as a as a young girl was a horse rider and she had a horrible accident in the horse and broke her back and was in the hospital for a long time. And New York Ripper, the original storyline of New York Ripper, apparently did not have the the main character motivated uh, in in the way that he is. Apparently, in, in the original storyline, he was just a killer who was crazy. But of course, in the final film, the motivations of the killer are revealed that he has a, a young daughter who is in the hospital and who's dying and cannot go out and enjoy the experiences that these young women uh, can experience, that she will never experience. She'll never grow uh, old enough to experience these pleasures and sights, so he murders these women because his daughter will no, never be able to enjoy it. How that parallels Fulci's life is, is, is interesting, you know, in the fact that he had a young daughter who was... Yeah, had had issues and later had spinal issues. The parallels there are interesting. the The film does avoid that direct kind of uh, crit. There's not a billion critics in the film. They're interviewed about the whole themes and ideas of Lucio Fulci. They stay away from that in depth critical analysis. If there's any in-depth critical analysis, it's coming from his friends and family. There's only one critic in the entire film. It's the guy who runs. Uh, Nocturno, that Italian uh, video label, and they have a TV show, and they're they're really into Euro cult, uh, you know, classic seventies, eighties Italian horror, and that one guy does kind of contextualize the themes and ideas of of Fulci. Though even he says, you know, I don't like to be artsy fartsy about it. You know, I like to know, I just like to do just the facts. You know, Joe Friday, I like to focus on what's in the movie and not trying to, oh, it's about the bourgeoisie and society and culture and and get too far into these, you know, high-minded explanations of what's there on the screen. So I I appreciated that, you know. I mean, I appreciate how differently this film approach i mean i think dario gento would have been nice to interview just to to have there uh there's a lot not a lot of clips uh from the fulci movies in here and really not many beside demonia when you just see that and like taped off the screen like video footage i think there were probably rights issues there's a lot of stills of his films so showing this movie to someone who doesn't know Fulci completely coming in blind to the film may be a problem, but at the same time, Camilla Fulci, which I say is as I say is a centerpiece of the film, the way that she so passionately describes her father and what she, what they went through together and how they later worked and how you know and later on in the eighties how he just his his output declined, the quality of his life declined, the open heart surgery and his illness later that, you know, and then at the very end of his life, how Dario Argento wanted to make a film with him and kind of re- rejuvenate his career, the wax mask, and he was going to get together Sergio Salvati and make, and then on the door of making the wax mask, he died, you know, that the tragedy of, of that, his last movie that he made door in the darkness, with uh, uh, <laughs> John Savage, uh, Camilla Fulci tells a story about casting John Savage, how she was 
one of the people who was like John Savage. And she says in the film, you know, I, I thought John Savage was John Savage, but there's John Savage and then there's another John Savage. And what she means by that, I'm, I'm assuming, is there's the, you know, the late 70s, uh, early 80s John Savage, the, the Greek god, you know, of, uh, you know, these films. And then there's the older John Savage who was, you know, doing horror movies in the 80s and 90s and they got the old John Savage but uh, <laughs> and then apparently Gene Gene Hackman was being considered for the role in Door to Darkness which I I can't believe but who knows I mean again this this film is about mythology and and myth and myth and magic and legend and how sometimes that's kind of true so uh, I don't I don't know how how real <laughs> how how real that is but it's such a a loving portrait and again, I, I don't know if you don't have a, um, an attachment to Fulci, I think even, I think even then it would get you excited about watching Fulci. You'd want to watch the beyond. They play up the beyond as his masterpiece. And I think it, it honestly is. It's one of the great horror films makes the, le- the more you watch it, the less sense it makes, but it's such a beautiful film. And so it's so atmospheric and moody. Uh, I had a chance to visit the house at the the Beyond House in Louisiana. And anybody who lives in the southeast in the Louisiana, I I wholeheartedly advise you to immediately plan a trip there because it's really incredible. It's on a it's uh it's it's in a park. It's very easy to get to, <laughs> you know. And they, they'll give you a tour of it. You can get a free tour. I don't know if it's free. I forgot about that. But uh, yeah, you can get a tour of it. Incredible. Incredible, incredible. Uh, the 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 Blu-ray that Severin Films put out, and the film is streaming all over the place. But you you can you can watch it streaming. Uh, Alamo uh, on demand has it. I'm sure all the other streaming services have it, or will eventually have it. But the Severin Blu-ray looks beautiful. It has a lot of special features. It has a lot of extended interviews with everybody involved. Instead of an extended uh, interview with Camilla. Uh, Fulci's other daughter, Antonella, is interviewed, but there, it's not. There's not a lot going on uh, with her. Her interview is very brief. It ends the film, and it's kind of the ending of the film. But Antonella has been interviewed about Fulci many times. Oftentimes, in recent years, if you were hearing about Lucio Fulci, they'd interview Antonella. And it, it's a, it's an important part, but the but the showpiece the 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 showcase for this film is is really is really Camilla the other daughter Camilla and her story, so it's a wonderful film it's a wonderful showcase, uh, the the whole framework of the film doesn't interfere with the with the film, in fact enhances it in a way I think the guy who they got to play Fulci pulled it off with the with the prosthetics and the and the makeup. And so it's it's a great film, and whether you buy the Blu-ray, which I think it's worth it, it's it's definitely worth a blind buy, or just catch it on streaming whenever. And if you love if you love Fulci, it, I think it's a must-watch. we will try to give you an impression of a new kind of film experience. If your curiosity is aroused, you are ready for Phase 4.
They're sending back my message. What does it mean? This is no message. If there's an intelligence there, I want it to know there's an intelligence here. I believe that they'll move rather quickly into desert areas, taking over the countryside first, then laying siege to towns and cities. We have only one chance. what your next move will be before you think of it. Phase four is the only feature film that Saul Bass made. Though Saul Bass had an incredible influence on the history of film, mainly well known as a title designer, designed the titles for so many films, everything from Spartacus, Man with a Golden Arm, uh, the Hitchcock films, North by Northwest, Psycho. He, he did the title sequences to so many Hitchcock films. But he was, a, he was also a, an artist, he was a designer, and you, you see that sensibility shine through in Phase 4, which on its face, on its face value, Phase 4 is a, a killer insect movie from the 70s. And there were a lot of different killer insect movies in the 70s. There was Squirm, there was Swarm, there were killer animal movies, and, but then there were also these weird killer in, uh, insect movies, uh, a different type of insect movie, like the Hellstrom Chronicle, which was a fake documentary about how insects were going to take over the earth. Dr. Hellstrom was telling us all about insects and their, their, uh, the, the, the menacing quality of insect life. And then there was um, the secret life of plants which was all about how plants have intelligence and they and they they feel and they have thoughts had a had an incredible soundtrack by Stevie Wonder and phase 4 definitely belongs in the second category it's it's more of a traditional narrative it's a sci-fi film it's a insect film it's a killer insect film but it's definitely weird. It's definitely out there. You know, in, in the world of Phase 4, there's a solar eclipse which causes ants to do very strange things. Which is to say they start cooperating and they start organizing into a society. And uh, it makes a couple of scientists nervous. One scientist specifically, this guy played by Nigel Davenport, gets another scientist uh, who is skilled in games theory, played by... 
young young Robert Altman actor Michael Murphy, and together they go into the desert, uh, the southwestern desert, and they set up this weird lab, which is just dropped by a helicopter into this southwestern desert, this uh, housing community, which was going to be built, but is stopped, but was stopped. Everybody left, everybody uh, disappeared, and the houses are left in frames, unbuilt, but in, 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 within this uh, desert landscape, there is this weird, looks like a weird kind of geodesic dome trailer lab, computer lab, where these two guys are uh, trying to figure out what's going on with these insects. And uh, into this drops Lynn Frederick, who's uh, the young Lynn Frederick, uh, who is also in a Fulci movie, by the way. Uh, who is in For the Apocalypse. Uh, her family is accidentally murdered by these scientists when they leash uh, a, a poison to try to kill the insects. And so she finds her way into the weird uh, metal lab, uh, temporary lab that they've set up in the desert, and things get weird, and things get weirder, and eventually the, the end of the film... Um, spoiler alert, the, the insects kind of win, and Michael Murphy sees a vision of the future, of um, a future ruled by insect overlords, in a way. And the movie is legendary for a few things, for being the, the sole directorial film feature work of Saul Bass, this great designer. It's also well known as having the uh, having the one of the famous original, you know, uh, alternate endings in cinema history. This uh, this film has an alternate ending which was legendary for years. There were little stills of it which you see here and there in film books. The theatrical trailer for the for the film has some shots from that original original incredible ending where you saw you had this full vision of the insect future. Uh, but apparently it was too crazy for Paramount Pictures, the distributor Paramount, who was distributing this crazy movie anyway. They were like, no, that's a little too crazy, Mr. Bass. We're going to have to mute your vision. We're going to have to cut it. And so the, the, the final version, the final theatrical version that it played when the film was theatrically released in the 70s, it is you see a little bit of the future, but it you barely see anything. Uh, that uh, that that original ending again was unseen for years, was hidden for years, and then a few years ago, someone in a film archive discovered it, and they started showing it. They showed it at a screening in Los Angeles. They showed it at a screening here in Austin, which I missed unfortunately, and I'm kicking myself. It was. I was out of town, and it was like, man, I wish I could have seen that. Well, that that slight has been corrected because the film has been finally re-released uh, with that original ending as a, as a special feature. The film itself is still the theatrical version, but they have but in the in the UK and in France. Uh, there's, there's been DVD releases and I'm sorry, Blu-ray releases, special edition Blu-rays from Carlotta films. And then in the UK, and that's Carlotta films in France. And then in the UK, 101 films has released an incredible two disc set 
of Phase Four, and that's what I what, what I bought. A pretty reasonable price. It's got commentary. It's got a little featurette by a, by critics and the the making of Phase Four and, and what it meant. But the and the and it also has a second disc which has. Saul Bass short films. He made a, a couple of really interesting short films. I think the most interesting short film he made was a film called Quest, which you can watch on YouTube. It's a very interesting kind of time-bending fantasy film that, that's worth your watch. But, of course, the, the key extra on this Blu-ray release is, of course, it's got the original ending. It's got the original. The original ending, there is a version of the original ending. Somebody uh, filmed it off a screen at a, at a film screening and it's on YouTube, but that's not the full ending. The full ending actually begins before they, before Michael Murphy goes into the, into the hole and has a visit. It starts with Lynn Frederick in the, uh, in the lab and she has some extra dialogue and then she go and then she disappears out of the lab and has there's some extra footage there and so it so the the original ending starts way way further than i expected and the 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 original ending of the film i mean you can see it online it it almost has to be seen to believe it's it's a vision uh that the ants give michael murphy of a of a future ruled by ants where humans are treated like ants where they're cataloged where they're defined where humans have have, totally totally the the human species has been totally been redefined and there's a negative aspect of that about that but further the further you go on to the sequence it's only a few minutes but the sequence just feels like it's just so visionary the further you go on the se- in this in the sequence it's it's almost like okay they humans are both shackled but then they're freed they're freed to kind of uh, transcend the human form and there's this the shot that i i just just blew my mind of this of this of this human almost becoming a bird and flying like a bird and it's done this this of course is a 70s film so it's all optical effects there's no cgi but it's done so well and the artistry of the optical effects which are a mix of matte paintings of opticals of live photography it's all put together in such a way it reminded me of uh work of another guy uh robert abel and associates robert abel who did uh, like michael jackson uh Doc, the Jackson 5 um, music video for Can You Feel It? And he also did a lot of television commercials and, and everything throughout the late 70s and early 80s. It's that kind of you know, really well-done commercial uh, special effects work, which is, still to this day is, is really stunning in, in, a, in a way. It's pre-digital work. It really is, is amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing to look at. And it's and so nice that it has been preserved. The film itself is such an interesting film. Uh, I, I, I don't. So much has already been said about the movie. There's a great podcast which, if you love Phase Four, I think you should listen to immediately. It's the Projection Booth podcast, uh, where they interview Michael Murphy. They interview uh, one of the writers involved 
in uh, in writing Phase Four. It's uh, it's a real special movie, and if you're interested in '70s films, if you're interested in '70s weird, <laughs> weird, weird movies, Phase Four is is a movie that you don't hear a lot about. I mean, it was it was released by all of films on DVD. It was out of print and difficult to find for years and years and years. It was just it was just the old Paramount VHS and Laserdisc, which had great covers, by the way, the best covers, uh, but they were out of print, difficult to find. And then a number of years back, all of films released it in a in a DVD, which didn't have a great transfer. And then they re-released it in a Blu-ray, which was a good transfer, a better transfer, but had no extras. And now, finally, it's coming out in Europe. Hopefully, this stuff, I mean, it's so cheap to import. But I, I would love a company like Shout Factory to put out a, an American, a U.S. Blu-ray of this with the original ending. I think that would be something incredible. But until then, importing this release of Phase 4, is it worth it? Yes. I mean, the transfer, probably not that much better than than Olive's transfer, but you got to see that original ending. It's so... If you're into hippy-dippy, mind-bending type of uh, sequences of audio-visual extravagance, you've got to watch Phase 4, the original ending. It's, It's great. On this island... In this building, through this door, down this hallway, lies the most frightening experience of your life. Prepare yourself for they came from within. What are they? Raging demons that must be exercised. Bloodthirsty creatures that must be killed. Or incarnations of absolute evil. They came from within. They possess men, women, and children and drive them to acts of unbelievable horror. No one is safe from them. No power on earth can stop them. The only escape is death. They came from within. If this picture doesn't make you scream and squirm, you'd better see a psychiatrist. Quick. Rated R. Finally, I want to talk about a new David Cronenberg Blu-ray release, Shivers. Ah, oh, man, Shivers. I remember back in the late 90s, like around 98 when Image Entertainment released a DVD of Shivers. It had been not easy to find Shivers, the, the movie, you know, out of print on VHS, whatever. They came from within. To see it uncut, it's a little bit difficult. You know, oh, I'm going to get the Japanese Laserdisc, going to get this, going to get that. But Image Entertainment released it on DVD, and I remember it was in film school around that time, and I watched it with, uh, you know, one of my classmates bought it, and we were always buying, like, uh, you know, Vampiros Lesbos, and weird, weird films, and, uh, and, and watching them, and we sat down and watched this, and it blew our mind, you know, the first uh, feature film, the horror feature film debut of director David Cronenberg, even though he'd made two other experimental, almost feature-length films, feature-length basically, Stereo and Crimes of the Future, and there are some actors, there's some uh, overlay, there's some overlap between the actors that are in uh, Stereo and Crimes of the Future, and then the people that showed up in in Shivers, a low-budget horror movie from from Cinepix, who were making softcore films at that time, uh, John Dunney and Andre Link, 
and they wanted to, but they couldn't sell these these sex pictures worldwide. A good low budget horror film. Uh, that's what they wanted from David Cronenberg. But w- what they got was David Cronenberg, who's it's a weird movie. It's all David Cronenberg movies to me feel morose. They feel sad. There's a there's a sorrowness. There's a sorrow sorrow. There's sorrow. There's just this vein of tragedy, of deep tragedy that runs through them. But at the same time, they're not depressing to watch in a way. They're fascinating to watch. They have, a, uh, to quote Masha in Videodrome, they have, they have a philosophy, you know, and that's what makes them dangerous. You know, David Cronenberg you feel like he's in like 70s sci-fi, you know, he uses these medical terms and he, his, he builds his world. He has great world building, I think, in a sense, within the, the, the shop talk and the terminology of these characters so that it feels in a way believable. It's not some 50s sci-fi BS. You know, when you watch Rabbit, you, you, the, the, the operation that they do in Rabbit is like stem cell surgery. Or the, the, the weird, the weird, weird idea of shivers is that the scientist creates a parasite that is, is meant to, uh, turn people into mindless, sex, uh, starved, <laughs> crazy people. Uh, and how that kind of gets out of hand and starts to infect this entire luxury complex, uh, the Starliner Towers, which is on a remote, Island. It's a remote uh, luxury apartment, mainly seems like mainly for retirees, where young professionals and retirees can can uh, live out their life in total luxury. And uh, there there is an element of of class struggle. Is a to me, I've always thought there to put on my uh, artsy fartsy critic hat. You know, the idea of this this upper class, upper crust society that is rendered into uh, Stone Age and is rendered into sex-starved beasts by this parasite, uh, at the whim of this parasite, it's fascinating. And in 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 years since, we found that you know, parasites can control control their hosts in way in weird ways that we don't know. Like the the parasite and fecal matter that that uh, that uh, that rats can ingest, and the parasite uh, causes the rats to be eaten by the cats, and then the cats excrete it, and and the life cycle of the parasite continues because it causes the host's death. I mean, all of these weird these weird things, and the 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 effect that parasites have on the life cycles of their hosts. Again, there's something beyond the gore, beyond the, the, the body horror. The reason why David Cronenberg's stuff is just so effective is because it feels so solid in a, in a way. The science, which is, it's of course, science fiction, not science fact, is, there is such a, a, a musculature that this guy gives to it, you know, and in the way that his characters talk and the way they speak, there's something uniquely Cronenberg, even in this first movie. There is something uniquely Cronenberg-esque to the way that it goes. And even with the cheap effects, which were done by Joe Blasco, a well-known makeup artist who took the job mainly just to do the makeup for Barbara Steele, uh, 
it's it's an interesting film. I started thinking about a few things after the film that I guess I guess it's an apocalyptic future because the the life cycle of the parasite is that it reproduces inside your gut until it basically melts your insides and and eventually causes your death, right? So it's not a really happy future. It's a kind of an oblivion. It's an orgiastic oblivion that this uh, scientist uh, Hobbes wants to uh, bring about. <laughs> but it's an intro. I mean, it's also just a great. There is a touch of Night of the Living Dead in it. It's a one central location where there's an epidemic, you know, and these people that act like uh, crazed monsters. There, that theme would echo later on in David Cronenberg's second film, Rabbit, where uh, uh, the, there's the typhoid Mary who causes these people to become zombies, the Marilyn Chambers with her weird uh, armpit uh, thing, <laughs> you know, which is weird, weirder than shivers, you know, uh, in, in a way. Uh, the 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 film was was, was released in 1998. The only extra in that was a deep with a was an interview with uh, David Cronenberg, and that was re-released by Arrow Video a few years ago. And now Lionsgate, under its line of uh, Vestron Video Special Edition Blu-rays, um, Lionsgate has has uh, revived the Vestron Video label name and started putting out these old old films. They've put out shivers in, a, in an affordably priced. All, all and it's it's weird because the, these they released little monsters and uh, shivers in very reasonably priced releases. Usually they were twenty nine thirty nine retail. This one retailing for like fifteen fifteen. You can find it on street for ten twelve dollars. Uh, shivers, and they, but they've packed it with extras. It's got the there's interviews with Lynn Lowry with Joe Blasco. And the most important extra, though, is they've got a new commentary with David Cronenberg. And I've been itching for a David Cronenberg commentary for a while. Again, he's one of my favorite commentarians, one of the favorite people. I mean, the commentaries that David Cronenberg did for the Criterion Collection films like uh, Crash and Dead Ringers, specifically Crash, I don't know how you feel about that film, but the the David Cronenberg commentary for Crash is almost like an independent filmmaker handbook. You know, he talks about his techniques and how he did the film and the the early part of the title sequence, how they they emailed plumbers to find out how to build the the title sequence of CGI and then how he shoots scenes and how he, yeah, so much detail. The the commentary for Shivers is David Cronenberg talking, you know, of course Crash was a commentary he did for a, a movie that he made like a couple of years before that, you know, fresh in his mind. Video, uh, the uh, the video drone commentary is incredible as well, but the Shivers commentary, of course, is a film. He's talking about film, his first film that he made decades and decades ago. So you can tell the memories are a little bit blurry. What what remains is just the, his feeling as a novice filmmaker and his growing confidence. He tells the anecdotes about slapping that actress and Barbara Steele going crazy and. And, and you know, casting the film with a bunch of crazies who would just come off the street. He tells all the, but it's great listening to, I mean, David Cronenberg, his voice and the way he talks it is just, it's such a great, it's a great thing to listen to. I love, I would love for David Cronenberg to do a commentary track on scanners. 
Oh man, so that that is what I, I wish he would do. Scanners came out in a wonderful Criterion Collection uh, special edition a few years ago that I have, and it's great. It's got some interviews with people, and it's 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 incredible. It's wonderful. But I'd love to hear his take on Scanners. Scanners is probably one of my favorite Cronenberg films. But in any case, Shivers, it, it's a wonderful horror film. It's David Cronenberg. It's crazy. It's this David Cronenberg is able to indulge himself in these vignettes of debauchery, which kind of link because, I mean, Stereo and Crimes of the Future were very much like vignettes of these scientists and doctors going to different parts of this weird medical institute doing stuff. And he kind of carries over those themes into his first kind of so-called mainstream movie where this parasite infests this luxury Starliner Tower, drives everybody crazy, and you just have these vignettes of uh, extremity, of debauchery throughout throughout the uh, throughout the complex, with this main doctor played by Paul Hampton trying to navigate this and survive. You know, great, great. Also, another great performance by Joe Silver, actor Joe Silver, who was uh, later also in Rabbit, playing basically the same character. But uh, a wonderful movie. If you haven't watched it, if you have watched it, this affordably priced blu-ray uh hopefully hopefully affordably priced i don't know if it, if it goes out of print and you're listening to this you know, oh well sorry but <laughs> it's definitely a blu-ray that's worth buying people are dead back there yes a tragedy i don't understand it they accepted the order why should they come here Irrational behavior. Very sad. Now just look at this, James. Consider the execution of this maneuver. In order to explode the generator, they had to create a living chain... Listen, Hubs, those people are dead, don't you understand? People get killed sometimes. Finally, I want to mention some upcoming home video releases, some Blu-ray releases from Severin Films. Uh, just recently announced by Severin Films, they're going to release Patrick Lives Again, Patrick Viva Ancora, the Italian rip-off sequel to the Australian film Patrick, in a remastered Blu-ray. And it's the uncut version, which there's some crazy, crazy stuff in that film. Uh, if you don't know about Patrick Lives Again, yeah, it's crazy and, and, and wacky. Uh, they also, and that film was released by Media Blasters here in the U.S., I believe, uncut. But the, their big announcement, for me at least, was that they're going to release Luigi Causey's The Black Cat on, uh, on Blu-ray. Uh, it's, it's been bouncing around in, in various uh, home video versions from MGM streaming. I saw it on Netflix years ago, but Black Cat is a film that Luigi Causey made in, in the late eighties. And it's like, a it's a weird breaking the third wall type of, uh, sequel in, in some ways to the, the, uh, 
to the, the Three Mothers films, to the Dario Gento, to uh, Suspiria and Inferno. And it's about a, a director inside the films trying to make a, a, a third, third mother film. And then the, uh, the real witch mother comes after. It's a crazy movie, but it, it, it stars Carolyn Monroe and, and, uh, and it's just almost unexplainable. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, it's a crazy, wacky film. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to that on HD. Uh, that's about it. I thank you for listening to my show. Uh, if you're interested in this type of stuff, check out PulsingCinema.com. I have a review of Shivers up now. I have a lot of reviews of other stuff, making of articles that I'm going to post. I'm going to try to keep everything uh, up to date. It's stuff, stuff I've been wanting to post for years that I'm finally getting on the website. So check that out, and I thank you for listening. Thank you.